job, great job. He is worthy, amen. First of all, my apologies to the young and young at heart. I was supposed to have a patch on for Pirate Sunday, but uh, I'm at the point I only need it to sleep in, so I'm sorry. I started to wear it anyway, and, but, I, but I despise it. So uh, thank you so much for praying for me. Um, I missed you so much while we were on vacation last week. And um, thank you for praying. I know that Pastor Corey did a great job while I was gone. Amen. And um, um, thank you again for your prayers. It, it, it went very well. And um, for those of you that weren't here a couple of weeks ago, I've, I've got um, the, the transplant, uh, the cornea transplant coming up in a few weeks. But the doctor said everything was looking good as we head toward that, and they're going to do both eyes, and hopefully these, this vision problem that I've wrestled with for years will be taken care of uh, by the end of this year. So that's what we're counting on. Thank you for praying. I want you to go ahead and turn to 2 Timothy 3. And while you're finding 2 Timothy 3, I need to um, make an announcement uh, or bring some clarity really more than an announcement. I started getting texts and um, got some phone calls yesterday about an email, um, as Paul said, a letter reportedly from me, um, that um, an email that came to uh, apparently most of the church mailing list where I was asking you to get back in touch with me that I really needed your help. Um, first of all, I want to say how gratified I am by the tenderness of the church's response to a call for help. That means more to me than I can say. But um, what we tried to get word out yesterday is that it's, it's some kind of scam. Um, now, for those of y'all that, that did bring gift cards for me today, I will use them for next vacation. But no, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. I am just teasing. Um, it happens time to time, especially in this, um, um, you know, age, technological age in which we're living. Um, a lot of times, not a lot of times, we have good security and we have excellent uh, people who guard our, our website and our, and our technology. But sometimes things happen. Um, We've had, uh, we've had some very bad things go out under my name, and we've had some bad things go out from the church. Um, yesterday was a thing that looked particularly convincing because they had the names right, and, and the false uh, email address was very close to the church email address. But um, I guess what I need to do is just make a, uh, just make a couple of general statements. Um, first of all, thank you for being so willing to help, those of you that express that. Uh, people, you know, Pastor, whatever you need, just let us know. But um, I guess the best way for me to say it is that we would never contact you that way. We would never contact you with a vague message you had to respond to that Pastor needs help. Now, if I'm on a missions trip and I get kidnapped, don't say, oh, it's just a scam. Come get me. <laughs> but... Um, but um, 
first of all, I feel like a, uh, the pastor of a church in England who church was broken into and everything valuable they had was stolen. And he led the congregation in prayer and he said, Lord, we thank you that um, no one was hurt. We thank you that everything that was taken can be replaced. Um, he said, but number four, most of all, we thank you that it was not us who did it. So I, I want to say um, we, we just, we won't operate that way. There's, I, I can't think of a situation where we would not, we could not wait till Sunday to say we have a need so that you know it's legitimate. We encourage you to give through the church, not um, to these doubtful claims, even though um, they, they might be using the name of the church, the name of the pastors. Um, um, I just, you know, like the, the IRS wouldn't, wouldn't ask for your social security number over the phone. Um, I, I had somebody call me one time and told me that uh, I would just qualified for a $30,000 line of credit and they gave me all of this stuff. And they said, all we need is your social security number. And I, I asked him, I said, well, how could you qualify me for a line of credit without my social security number? And um, they hung up, the line, we got static and they hung up. So we will never contact you the way most of you were contacted when we have a need. And I don't mean to beat that thing to death, but I need to say one other thing. Because of the generosity of this congregation, from time to time there are people in the parking lot and there are people just off of our church property and they'll tell you things like we went to the church but they wouldn't help us and I don't have money to feed my children because you people wouldn't help me. Loved ones, we would never turn away somebody in a situation like that. Um, what we do require is for them to talk to us and explain a situation. And we also tell people that uh, uh, if it's not a, a critical situation, come to the church office tomorrow because we don't walk around with those kind of resources on us. Um, if we ever did turn someone away, you need to understand there would be a reason we turn them away. So don't buy into the, the con artists that will camp out by the, the street corners, sometimes on church property. Uh, you know us better than that. We're not turning away people that are in need. Uh, number two, there's a one uh, woman in particular that for probably three or four years now, uh, I think she makes a living this way. She goes to the shopping malls, she goes to different places, and um, she'll tell you a, a tragic history of her life, which may or may not be true, I don't know. But she'll tell you this, and my name gets used all the time, uh, probably a half dozen other pastors too. I'm the one Pastor Chitty told you about and said to help her when you can. And it has to do with tragic death and accidents and fires and all kinds of things. <coughs> and, uh, <clears throat> she's even been known to get in people's cars without their permission. It won't get out till you take her somewhere. She wants you to take her to a bank to get a check cash. Um, loved ones, that is, that is a con artist that person makes a living off of good-hearted church people who never want to turn away someone in need. And then when they add the name of a pastor or a church, it's, it's very convincing. 
It's very first time I heard it. Um, I, I, my response was, I, I didn't say that. By the time by the time the story was finished, I said, Did I say that? You know, <laughs> and uh, these people are very good at that. But I, I just want to tell you, um, don't. Get, I mean, I can't tell you who to give and who not to give to. But if you if you have any doubt, uh, just say, Well, let's ride by the church office. And let them verify this. Um, it, it's just, it's just, it's so tragic that there are people out there that would take advantage of good people. But I think just as a shepherd, I think I need to let you know, we just don't do things that way. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't send you an email telling, telling you I need you to get some gift cards pretty quick for me or for a special need. Um, um, although I think it was Michael Scott on The Office who was rebuked for helping a con artist. And, you know, he said, when the deposed king of Nigeria asked for your help, you help, you know. <laughs> and I understand that, you know, we, we want to be good givers. We want to be good givers. Um, and if I've said any of this in an offensive way, forgive me. That's not my intent. But anytime there's a question, just call the church office. If a pastor is not available, if they're all tied up, ask for the finance office. They'll, they can answer the same kind of questions for you. But the biggest thing to remember is to protect ourselves, to protect you. Whenever there's something that we want folks to give to, we'll mention it here. And, um, um, and we can verify anything. But I, I just I pray there was no difficulty caused for anybody. Okay. We're all clear? Okay, all right. Um, however, there were a couple of you that I think, I think the pastors were planning on answering your question with a pastor wants to know why it's taking you so long to get this gift card. So, but that was a joke. So just, just forget it. Just forget it. Now, Lord, help us. Boy, what, a, what an intro to talk about delusion. And uh, we ask you to help us as we talk about the delusion of the last days. And uh, thank you for helping our church through things like this. Just bind our hearts together. Lord, don't let this thing make us skeptical to give. Help, help us to, to understand the beauty and the power of giving. But help us, Lord, protect us. You taught us to pray that we would be delivered from the evil one. And I think that includes con artists and those that misrepresent truth. So help us. Let us have the indwelling Holy Spirit to know what to do and how to handle it. And we'll give you thanks in advance in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I want to talk with you for a couple of days. Um, I told you we're moving toward a series on David in a few weeks at, at the end of the summer. Um, but I've just got some various and sundry things that are on my heart that as I pray, the Lord just keeps bearing down on these things. And I felt like I wanted to take, uh, if I can do it in two Sundays, <coughs> excuse me, if not three, I wanted to talk to you about this age in which we're living. We uh, have found, and some of us have lived through periods of time where there was such uh, almost an overemphasis on things. We, we, uh, we, the, the period of my, uh, 
late teens and early 20s was referred to as the period of rapture fever, you know. Um, it was um, uh, fueled by excellent books like Hal Lindsey's Late Great Planet Earth and um, you know, he said this generation that saw Israel formed as a nation will not pass away until all these things be fulfilled. And um, some people said, well, a generation's 40 years. And by the way, in the Bible, generation can be the, the span of a life. It's 40 years in one place. It's 70 years in another. It's 100 in another. We're not sure what exactly Jesus meant by that generation. But even if Jesus was saying the generation that saw this will not pass away until all these things be fulfilled. We tried to fast forward the return of the Lord to the absolute date had to be um, in the late 80s at, at the very latest. Then we came up with books, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming in 1988. And, and I, I know excellent churches and excellent pastors that put all of their eggs in that basket they gathered for the rapture of the church on a certain day in October in 1988. And then there was a sequel that came out weeks later. Oh, we, we miscalculated 89 reasons why Jesus is coming in 1989. And I don't say that to be funny. We, are, we have the DNA to expect the return of the Lord. And if you're not careful, you will become so skeptical of the return of the Lord You'll say things like, I heard this all of my life, I don't know when, or subconsciously you're saying, or even if Jesus is coming again. And that's what Peter said would happen. Peter said, as we drew near to the return of the Lord, he said, there will be those who say, where is the promise of His coming? Where's the promise of His coming? Why would they say that? <clears throat> this is what Peter said. Because all things continue just as they always have all my life. Does it surprise you to hear that one of the signs of the return of the Lord is that His people will say, yeah, I've heard this all my life. But don't let our overzealous miscalculation cause you to miss the message of Scripture, which is that we are to live with an urgent expectation that Jesus may come at any time. He may come at any day. Now, um, he said, Jesus said, that when these things begin to come to pass, it will be like it was in the days of, of Noah, <coughs> where people did not know that they were approaching judgment and didn't care. They just kept on living. I thought it was funny back in the 80s, someone said, um, Jesus said that it would be like the days of Noah before his return. What do you think about that? And somebody said, I don't know and I don't care. Which the days of Noah, for those of you who don't get my first service humor, was they didn't know and they didn't care. And their response was, I don't know and I don't care. Let me tell you what it's really like. We know, I think most of us know something's up. We know something's up. But the church is divided on what does this issue mean, the return of the Lord. We're divided over things like the rapture and the time of the rapture. We're divided, uh, or, or even if, if, if the rapture exists as, as, as we've been taught it does, or is it just a general resurrection and, 
and a translation, which is a rapture. Um, when does Jesus return? Uh, uh, does, does Jesus return at the end of the millennial kingdom or at the beginning of the millennial kingdom? Some of the fastest growing churches in evangelical Christianity are now t saying that there is no such thing as the millennial kingdom. It's up to the church to change everything. And we get so divided. And um, that's why today I want to talk about the nature of delusion. We, we, listen, we are in an age that the hallmark characteristic is deception and delusion. In the last days, evil men and seducers will grow worse and worse and worse, comma, deceiving and being deceived. Excuse me. <coughs> but we know something's up. We're like the little boy that got a fingerprint kit for Christmas. He's followed the directions. He knows something is up, but he doesn't know how to, how to quite interpret the results. Someone asked him how he liked it. He said, well, it's fun but I don't understand, it, it doesn't work right. And they said, why doesn't it work right? He said, well, I've followed all the directions. And so far, my daddy, Santa Claus, and the bum who robbed my piggy bank all have the same fingerprints <laughs> according to this thing. <coughs> well, he knows something's up. He's just afraid of the ramifications. So let's, let's look at some fingerprints today and next Sunday. And if it takes a third Sunday, we'll do that. It's, this is not a big series. It's just, I want to bring you up to speed on being people who live in the last days. Now, we've got to decide, first of all, what does last days mean? We'll talk about that in just a moment. But let's read 2 Timothy 3. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. This is one of the most depressing paragraphs in the New Testament. He says, as we move, and, and the, the, the language and the tenses that is used in the New Testament talk about this will not only exist, but it will exist and continue to exist and will continue to increase. Now, sometimes we see this kind of behavior in a sector. Sometimes we see it in a group. Sometimes it even overtakes society, and God forbid, perish the thought, but sometimes it even affects the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think today a lot of Americans are upset with the climate of our politics, but we just blame it on the politics. People of one view believe they're basically sane, but the other party is crazy. 
and the other party believes the same thing. And you know what's happening? We think the anger, the all of this stuff is centered in politics. That's not the problem. The problem is that's what our society has become in every level. And it just bleeds through into politics. The problem in America is not that there's bitterness in politics, that there's scandalous activity in politics, that there's hatred and accusation in politics. The problem is that in the hearts of Americans there's bitterness and there's accusation and there's frustration and there's anger. And it flows out not only in politics but in our theology in everything that we do. And loved ones, that's why God tells us, and I say it till I'm blue in the face, He says, come out of Babylon and don't be a partaker of the way Babylon lives. A change in the White House will not change the heart of America. A change in the governor's mansion will not change the heart of America. A change in uh, crime rates will not change the heart of America. The heart of America has to change first. And that's what we need to focus on. That's what we need to, to understand. Now, I, I think another thing that's happening in the church of Jesus Christ is we're writing off prophecy. We're saying things like, I've heard this all my life, or, you know, I don't agree with the way they're interpreting this. But let me tell you what the Bible tells us about prophecy. And this is just another sermon, but it's just a a 90 second introduction. When I began to get a grip on prophecy, now this doesn't mean you're going to understand everything. I don't expect you in two or three weeks to walk away from here, understand the meaning of the third toe on the left foot of Nebuchadnezzar's vision. But in the broad picture, um, when we begin to understand sorrow, number one, as Adrian Rogers used to say, it helps us make sense of our sorrows. When we understand the big picture, our sufferings begin to make sense because we know that God is up to something. He says, I am convinced that the suffering of this present life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. When we understand God's heart and where He's taking us, every painful thing that we have in perspective in our lives rather gets put in perspective because when we're going through something we don't like it. I, I remember uh, just this minor surgery that I had. I remember getting frustrated and I was complaining about something and I told Ramona, I said, how many days am I going to have to wear this thing? How many days have I wore this? I mean, my whole face is patched up. And I mean, how many days has it been? And I think she said uh, four hours, you know, something like that. And, and she said, now the doctor said this, you're going to go to the da-da-da. And you know what? She just put it in perspective. I am not a good patient. Um, she put it in perspective and I just settled down. If we can get back to understanding the Word of God to the point that we understand the big picture, instead of following the lead of pastors and churches that are trying to marginalize Scripture, if we can put Scripture back into its special place in our lives, it helps us make sense of our sorrows. It helps us to find joy in His justice. Few things are as disturbing as the injustices that are taking place all around the world. But when we look at prophecy, we begin to understand that God understands it all. God sees it all. And the day is coming 
prophetically when God will set everything right. When Israel was at their worst in Egypt, there was a phrase going on that was known to almost nobody. It said, God heard the cry of the children of Israel. And there's no indication that anyone believed that or anyone acted upon that. God stirs Moses and says, go back, I've heard their cry. I wonder how long God is saying to the hosts of heaven, I hear her cry. I hear his cry. I hear the cry of the church. And we on this side are complaining that he's not paying any attention. It helps us find joy in his justice. Can I tell you something else? When we begin to understand history, when we read books like Daniel, when we see the master plan of Revelation, it helps us unravel the mystery of history. It helps us understand that no kingdom rises unless God gives permission for the kingdom to rise. He says that all of the nations and their power are, whew, they're just a breath. Everything that we know and think is unshakable can be blown away with one breath of God. He is ordering the events of history. He also brings dignity to my trials when I begin to understand history. In fact, loved ones, what I hope we can do over these next two or three Sundays is very simple. We need to regain God's perspective we need to regain a sense of God's purpose. And at least equally as important, we need to begin to understand that God has all power. His perspective, how he sees things, his purpose, what he's up to, and that he has power. He's in control. He is, is sovereign moving. Now that doesn't mean sovereign does not mean that the only thing that goes on is what God wants. Sovereign does not mean that everything that happens, God wants it to happen. But sovereign means that he is in control. He's ordering the affairs of men. And he is able to take good, bad, and ugly and turn it into the uh, profoundly clear will of God. Now, uh, there, there's basically three things I want to give you in a little bit of time that we've got left. I want to tell you three facts about the end days. And we, if we don't get these three facts, we'll end up living in confusion and fear. I want to talk to you about why this is an age of delusion. And then I want to talk to you about the resulting flawed thinking. Okay, uh, just an introduction to these concepts. Okay, three facts about the end times. Um, the first one in, in your notes under Roman numeral one, letter A, is that the times will be difficult. Now, I know that you say, well, in the last days I'll pour out my spirit. In the last days I'll draw men. In the last days, well, you've got to understand that there is the issue of now and then. There's the issue of what God is doing with his remnant and what God is doing with the wicked. In fact, in the book of Revelation, I can't tell if I'm boring you or you're just really paying attention here this morning. Um, and, and, I'm, and I'm hearing amens, but I don't know which one. You know, yes, you're boring us. We'll, we'll, we'll assume the best. <coughs> I'm teasing. Um, in the book of Revelation, there are two harvests. Two harvests are in the book of Revelation. Angels attend both of the harvests, and both of the harvests begin at the decree of God. The first harvest 
I'm not talking about chronolo uh, chronologically, but the first harvest is the harvest of wrath. The, the harvest of the earth is ripe. It says twice, the harvest of the earth is ripe. And in one of those instances where the angel goes forth to gather in the harvest, it's the time of judgment. He says, begin to bring the wicked together. Begin to bring nations to their knees. Begin to bring all that have resisted God to the place where they will face judgment. That's the harvest of the world that is coming. But there's another harvest that is ripe. There's another harvest that's given an angelic decree. And it's the gathering of the righteous for their reward and their redemption. Loved ones, when we start studying the end days, we've got to understand there are two definite streams that are flowing at the same time. And one is the stream of judgment. And it's the stream that we read about this morning here in 2 Timothy 3. Evil men and seducers will grow worse and worse. Difficult times will come. But there's another stream flowing that says it will come to pass in these same last days that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters, they'll be full of the Spirit. They'll prophesy. You'll be a church that dreams dreams and sees visions. And on all of you, young and old, uh, Jew and Gentile, male and female, bond and free, I will pour out of my Spirit in those days, say the Lord. You say, well, well Pastor, I'm, I'm afraid I'll get in the wrong stream. It's up to you what stream you fulfill. You can be, a, everybody in here is a part of fulfilled prophecy. The question is, which prophecy do you want to fulfill? I, I've had people that I pastored literally say things like this. Pastor, I thought about quitting my wicked ways. I thought about repenting. But somebody's got to fulfill these verses. I, I mean, I've literally had men and women tell me that through the years. I just believe I'm predestined to fulfill these verses. And I'm just, I'm just serving the Lord in my own way. And I said, no, you're serving flesh. You're serving the devil. You're serving deception. You're serving lies. You, you, you've got to understand that, yes, we're all fulfillers of prophecy. The question is, which prophecy will we fulfill? Will we be the one where uh, in our family our children are disobedient to parents? Or are we going to be the home where the Spirit is poured out on our children? Are we going to focus on the negative prophecy or are we going to remember that in Malachi he said as these last days come he's going to turn the hearts of the children back to their fathers and the hearts of the fathers back to their children. Loved ones, I know these are difficult days, that's what I'm telling you, but we get to decide which uh, prophecies we want to be a part of. But I want to tell you this, even though we choose to fulfill the prophecies of the remnant, we still need to understand that these days will be difficult. They will be difficult. Now, <clears throat> when the scripture uses last days, it means basically three things. Number one, the new covenant, New Testament. When Jesus came and lived a sinless life, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died a substitutionary death, raised from the dead and was raised up to heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. That began the last days. The last days began with the work of Jesus Christ. It's the new covenant. Um, every day since Jesus' day has been the last days, meaning that this age is coming to an end. 
This age is coming to an end. And we are waiting. When Jesus came and died and was raised, that established the kingdom of God. But it's a kingdom that's been given and a kingdom that's waiting for maturity. It's a kingdom now and a kingdom later. And our job is like the troops of D-Day that we just celebrated. We, uh, the church age is the age of the D-Day invasion. It's the day of victory declared. It's the day of the enemy knocked back on his heels. But there are still battles that had to be won. The army still had to press forward, but we're moving what began on Omaha Beach, what began on Utah Beach, what began at Sword Beach and Juno Beach, what began behind the lines with the airborne divisions, what began on that day is completing and continuing, and it will continue until the restoration of all things. These are the last Days And then the last day also has reference to the days immediately preceding the return of Christ. We, we believe that we are living, in other words, in the last of the last days. So they're going to be difficult days. Letter B, they are also going to be days of, um, w- uh, let me say it this way, even a good person's character may tend to be marginalized. Character may tend to be marginalized. Bible says that life will be centered around self-interest. It'll be what can you do for me or what can you give me? And we are going to understand the battle is rising to the surface, the struggle of the two natures, flesh versus spirit. I don't have time to read this passage, but Romans 7 verses 14 to 25, when Paul was explaining to those young Roman Christians the conflict they were all having, he said, we've all got a fleshly nature. And when we came to Jesus, our nature has been changed. But there is this battle. You fought it before conversion. And remnants of it try to raise its head after conversion. Down in verse 22, he says this. This power makes me a slave to the sin that's still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Verse 25. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Loved ones, we've got to understand that we have victory in regard to our character assured. And he tells us that the works of the flesh are going to be focused on by the world, but we are to focus on the fruit of the Spirit. He says in Galatians 5, I say, walk by the Spirit and you'll not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, which I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you before, that those who practice 
Such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit... Let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Now here's the third thing about the end times. Okay, times will be difficult. Character will be marginalized. And, and guys, we're talking about in the world, in the church, we must not let this happen. And the third thing is that many will have a form of godliness, but it will be without power. In other words, I think this is a prophecy that specifically relates to the church uh, in ways that the others may not necessarily do. But this is what he says. There will be people who are admittedly religious. There will be people who hold to the Bible. There will be those who hold to religious truth. But there's no power in it. Now, we Pentecostals think that means nobody's healed or that nobody is, has the devil cast out of them. And, and that, but that's not the context of what that statement is saying. He says there will come a day when people will claim to be believers, but their lives will not have power. Now what is the power that this verse is talking about? They're powerless to produce salvation. They're powerless. It's a religion that is powerless to change lives. Paul said to the Romans, the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. In other words, the power of God at work. Paul would say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. One translation puts it this way. I'm never put to shame when I preach the true gospel. Because there is a power, the, the, there's a power that works through the gospel. The fruit is changed lives. Yes, there are miracles at times. Yes, there's providence at work all the time. Yes, there's a sovereign God superintending our life. Yes, there's supernatural power. Yes, there are miracles. But at the core of this scripture is this, are your lives being changed? And any gospel, any church, any pastor, any preacher that, pre that preaches a message that doesn't re result in changed lives is more than likely a preacher that is not preaching the gospel of Christ. That's what John said in his epistle. He said, we have God's DNA in us. We cannot continue to sin as we did before. He said anyone that belongs to him is being changed. Paul would put it this way, from glory to glory, by faith to faith. Loved ones, I've known no time in my life. You say, well, that's just such a very short period of time, Pastor. I know, I'm just a kid. But in my life, and I, I, I want to tell you a lot longer than that, I've never known a time when the church of Jesus Christ is boasting greater numbers with less difference between our lives and the world. We're growing numbers, but our lives are translating into the same issues, the same problems, the same characteristics as the world. 
Now in the world, we're going to have tribulation. All of us are going to have setbacks. All of us are going to have problems. All of, I mean, the, God's children are going to have to deal with divorces and God's children are going to have to deal with setbacks and God's children are going to have to deal with failure. That's part of the life. I understand that. But what I'm saying is as a whole, we ought to be becoming more and more impactful of the kingdom and in the kingdom and by the kingdom. It doesn't mean that the people of God are without problems or without issues, but every time we fall, we get back up and we keep growing. And loved ones, sometimes we just need to ask ourselves, is there any real difference in me today and me five years ago? If not, we might need to check out what we believe we really might ought to. Now, Babylon is a system that according to the book of Revelation, if we're interpreting that correctly, um, they, they are a system that is looking toward one government, one currency, one religion. I don't know what that's going to look at <coughs> when all is said and done. But he tells us there is a system in place that is working toward domination. And he says the children of God need to be understanding this. Our only submission should be, ultimate submission, should be to the kingdom of God and the Lordship of Christ. Now, there's going to be uh, these three things that I just told you. There's also going to be worldwide delusion. <coughs> you say... There's always been delusion. Yes, but something's going to happen that intensifies it in the last days. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. I'm reading it from the Phillips translation. Now we do implore you by the very certainty of Christ's coming and our meeting uh, Him together to keep your heads. Okay, that's a good word, isn't it? Keep your heads and don't be thrown off balance by any prediction or message or letter purporting to come from us and saying that the day of Christ is almost here. Don't let anyone deceive you by any means whatsoever. That day will not come before there arises a definite rejection of God and the appearance of the lawless man. King James says a falling away. It's the idea of an apostasy. Now, apostasy occurs on two levels. One, it can be a societal apostasy where we walk away from something that we've held as a society. But also, it can be on a church level where the church of Christ walks away from what she once held. He, uh, this lawless man, he is the product of all that leads to death, and he sets himself up in opposition to every religion. He himself takes his seat in the temple of God to show that he really claims to be God. I expect you to remember now how I talked about this when I was with you. You will probably also remember how I used to talk about a restraining power which would operate until the time should come for the emergence of this man. Evil is already insidiously at work, but its activities are restricted until what I have called the restraining power of God is removed. Now, some have said that the restraining power is the church and the church has to be raptured out. Others say the restraining power is just the hand of God uh, present in the world that holds the enemy at bay. But that's another topic for another message. But the restraining power of God is removed. And loved ones, let me tell you, the most frightening day in a nation's life, the most frightening day in a culture's life, the most frightening day in an individual's life is if God ever lifts His hand off of us. 
Right now we are able to function. Right now we are able to have church today undisturbed and unmolested because of the restraining hand of God. Now we thank God for our police officers. We thank God for, you know, the county sheriff. We thank God for the rule of law. We thank God for all of those things. But behind all of that is the hand of God restraining the work of the enemy. When that hand is removed, when that lawless man will be plainly seen, though the truth of the Lord Jesus spells his doom, and the radiance of the coming of the Lord Jesus will be his utter destruction. I love what Paul does here. Even when he talks about Antichrist, he doesn't want to have a conversation about Antichrist without reminding you that his doom is already predicted. And Jesus wins. The lawless man is produced by the spirit of evil and armed with all the force, wonders, and signs that falsehood can devise. <coughs> to those involved in this dying world, he will come with evil's undiluted power to deceive, for they have refused to love the truth which could have saved them. There is coming a day, Paul says, that undiluted evil will be released. It's going to increase but the day will come when undiluted evil will be released. And here he tells us why. For they have refused to love the truth which could have saved them. God sends upon them, therefore, the full force of evil's delusion, so that they put their faith in an utter fraud and meet the inevitable judgment of all who have refused to believe the truth and have made evil their playfellow. Loved ones, at the heart of what I'm trying to say today is this is a time for the church to rally everything that's in us to lean into God, to not fall into that trap of saying, where is the promise of His coming? To not fall into that trap that says we're in a wicked world and you got to fight fire with fire. And, you know, uh, we, we, we end up fighting the enemy with the weapons of the flesh and we lose every time. Why does this full delusion come? Because mankind has rejected the truth. There is a great falling away that implies a defection or abandonment. And I want to tell you the thing that frightens me is it's not just in society, but I see it in large measure in the church. A defection from the truth. I'm not talking about our church, but the church world. A defection from the truth. Um, th there is probably going to be a falling away in numbers, but the remnant is the key concept. Loved ones, the more I study, the more I wait in the presence of God, the more I'm convinced is this idea of the remnant. We must latch on to the promise of God's presence, the promise of God's providence, the promise of God's power, because we are living in an age, I believe with all my heart, in our lifetimes, we're going to see such an outpouring of evil that only those who are anchored in truth will be able to avoid delusion. There's a delusion about God's view of sin. Uh, Paul said to the Romans, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Now see Paul's pattern. When he talks about the devil, he always ends up reminding them he's doomed. And when he talks about God winning, he always takes time to praise and exalt him. 
So that tells me this is another message if I had time this morning. When we deal with the issues of the end times, we can't put our head in the sand, but we must not cave in to the gloom and despair of the enemy, and we must always keep praising the Lord and remembering that He is the victor. He says, for this reason, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. Society, and I'm telling you, unless God helps us, the day will come when it will be against the law to read the verse that I just read to you. But the, the clear teaching of Scripture is that because we reject the law of God, society begins to break down, and what God calls evil is now said good, and what God called good is now said to be evil. And loved ones, we, are, we, are, we, are, we still are reeling. We don't know what to do living in a world where basically anything is allowable except being a Bible-believing Christian. We're going to be rocked. We're going to be rattled. We're going to be shaken if we don't understand that we are in an evil world. Delusion is, is becoming rampant. And you and I are going to have to learn how to live in a world where we are part of a small remnant that sees things the way they really are. We've got to figure out how to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Just yelling is not going to save the world. Just complaining is not going to solve the problem. But we have to understand that we are a remnant. This, this in and of itself sounds cultish. But we've got to understand that we are a remnant with a very narrow view, and that view is the truth. And everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And we've got to learn how to hold steady in that world. That's what we're going to talk about uh, next week. There was delusion, or there will be delusion about the return of Christ. He says, in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. There's delusion about the gospel. There has never been a time ever in American history, at least not since the Great Awakening in the 1730s, there's never been a time when there was a more unclear proclamation of the gospel than in American society today. The gospel has been emasculated, everything challenging, everything corrective, everything negative has been taken away from it. And the gospel has been reduced to God wants you happy. God wants you to live any way you want to. That's why Jesus came is to accept everybody under all conditions. But loved ones, I want to tell you the battle of the ages in the end times will be over the veracity and the message of the word of God the everlasting gospel. We need the Holy Spirit at work to tell us the truth about sin, righteousness, and judgment. These are the three areas where the gospel is denied. The truth about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin is not what the Bible says it is. Righteousness is not what the Bible says it is in today's society. And judgment will never come to anyone. The final result is flawed thinking. 
flawed thinking ends up, and you see this more and more in the church, I have plenty of time, the world is okay, and I've heard all of this before. There's that powerful warning of 2 Thessalonians 2. I, I won't read it again, but I hope that you'll read it a couple of times this week. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1-12. What Paul said is there is coming a day, this is what Paul's, this is Paul's eschatology in a nutshell. There is coming a day of a great falling away. And that day of falling away is going to be followed by the revelation of a man of evil called the Antichrist. And he will be followed almost unreservedly because people in society have made a decision to follow a message of lies instead of following the Word of God. And I know I'm saying this till I'm blue in the face here lately, but it's not just in the world. I expect that from the world. It's in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And those who, even those who claim to believe in the message of the gospel and the message of Scripture are now so qualifying it that large portions are excluded. And we've got to understand that, read the book of Acts, see how the life of the Old Testament, uh, or the, the Scriptures of the Old Testament fed into the life of the New. We've got to get back to a Bible Christianity. So how do we live? Loved ones, I've just got to wrap it up with this. We've got to live in tune with the Spirit. We'll pick up here next week. We've got to live in the community of faith. We've got to stop filling our mind with the world's perspective. And we've got to recommit to a scriptural worldview. Not only will I study the Bible, but I will believe it. Not only will I pray, but I will listen. I will live for the Spirit and not for the flesh. That's where we're going to stop today. Here's the call God says you are living in a dangerous time. You are living in a time of delusion. You are living in a time of deception. But I will not let anyone be deceived who comes to me. I, I'm not trying to tell you you have to be in our church to go to heaven. I'm not trying to tell you you have to be assembly of God to get it right. But I am telling you this, any attempt to craft Christianity apart from the scriptural teaching will inevitably end in disaster. Our children have to remember to sing that song, the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. We've got to get back to some of those things that we think we've outgrown. I mean, I've got a doctorate. I know what seminary life is like. And I also know that most seminaries ought to be called cemeteries. And I know that, I know that most churches need, most churches need to return to the basics. I read an article about what was going on in England. The churches, the old, old churches in England are sinking. The churches are sinking. Buildings around them aren't sinking, just the churches are sinking. And I read an article saying it was demons. I heard, read an article saying it was God's judgment. But you know what if they found out it was? For six, seven, eight hundred years, people have been buried around the churches. And every generation makes new graves and the, the level of the earth rises while the church stays the same. Churches aren't sinking but what happens is the church has become such a repository of death that it's, it looks like it's sinking and, and fading from view. 
I think that can happen in the spiritual realm as well. In an attempt to be inclusive, we surround ourselves with such incredible depth that we get deeper and deeper into the mire of that death. Father, time's up. We got to go. But you don't have to go, Lord. You can continue to touch lives and change hearts. Father, wake us. Wake us. Father, wake us. And, and Lord, I, I know that even what we feel right now may not seem like a great emotional movement, but would you wake us to live afresh and anew to the message of the coming of Christ. Ministry teams, would you go ahead and move into position? Father, we, we know that we live in dangerous times. We know that we are living in an age marked by delusion. And Father, we, we realize that we have to make the decision of whether we're going to follow the flesh or whether we're going to follow the spirit, whether we're going to follow death or whether we're going to follow life. And Lord, as a church, and I pray today as families, as individuals, we want to come out of Babylon. We want to come out of Babylon. And we want to live in the light of the Lord's return. Lord, we want to live for your return. We don't want to live as they did in the days of, of um, Noah, where there is such ignorance and unconcern. But we want the Spirit to build a fire in us. We want the Spirit to build a fire in us. We don't want to fall into the trap of thinking that we're sinking and evil is rising. Lord, we need to understand that the church stands steady. And we've got to start turning toward life. Life, 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 life. We believe the Scripture where the, it says that whom the Spirit sets free is free indeed. Help us walk in that freedom. Would you stand with me, loved ones? We need to let you go today. Treat Papa good when you leave this place. Father, thank you for Father's Day. Thank you for the Lord's Day. But Father, may this be a day of more than either celebration alone. May this be a day that our lives turned ever so subtly perhaps ever ever so smallly at first turn our lives so that we become a church that is living for the return of the lord in jesus name we pray before you go let me give you this invitation if you are here today and you don't know that your sins have been forgiven if, if this idea of the Lord's return is just something way on the back burner of your life because you've been busy living for just what life demands, if you want to give your life to Jesus, if you want to become a Christian, would you please just before you leave and go to Father's Day celebration, would you come and speak to one of our ministry teams? And would you just say, I want to come to Jesus? They'll know exactly what you mean. They'd love to pray with you, give you some information about following Him. If you're here and you need prayer today for healing or you need prayer for a problem, whatever, if you need prayer, please visit one of the ministry teams on your way out. Thank you, thank you so much for being here today. God bless you. Lord, hasten your glorious coming. Come quickly, Lord Jesus and help us to look for you with all of our energy. God bless you. Thank you for being here today.